you know, we grew up Catholic. Yeah. And my dad, when we, my family moved to Nairobi, my dad had actually stopped going to the Catholic church. And the, so the entire family actually quit being Catholic. Mm. And I asked my dad one time, why, why don't you go to the Catholic church anymore? And he said, I do not see how I, me as a grown man, I'm going to kneel down in front of another dude to tell him my sins. Welcome everybody to today's episode of the Evolve podcast where we have raw, honest conversations on faith, life and change. Today we're continuing with Sammy's story. So Sammy, you you became uh yeah, in behavior your behavior obviously suddenly took a turn and we finished the last episode talking about that, but Yeah. So how did uh, so what happened when you left school? Uh, how did your career pursuit get uh, affected by your faith, your decision now to be a person of faith? So in my last year of high school, I, I was pretty committed to, you know, to the faith. I participated in a couple of bad behaviors, maybe skip school a little bit to go into some alcohol just a little bit. Hmm. But for the most part, I was very, very contained. Uh, and that's why it was so, so obvious that I had changed so much. I, I became way more participative in my local church. Uh, back in Nakuru. So uh, going back to holiday, I became one of the leaders, uh, you know, for some ministries like the kids' ministry. So naturally, when I graduated from high school, uh, I became almost like a full-time staff member at the church. Uh, not, not necessarily as a staff member, but as a volunteer. Mm. I was there all the time. And so needless to say, my faith really grew uh, because I was around the pastor. Uh, Reverend David came through our church and uh, gave a really impassioned plea for, for you know, for missions, donations, as well as people to volunteer to go up to northern Kenya, where he worked to to help with the work there. You know, he, he worked amongst, um, I think it was the Pokot and the Turkana, in a remote, remote area. Like, literally, it took him three days to get to Nakuru. It was that far out. So, I had been very attentive to his messaging that week. It was missions week at our church. And, um, you know, so it was all about missions and about going out to reach the world for Jesus. Mm. And so I had been pretty attentive and remember that I had been spending almost every day at this church. And so, and one of my best friends was actually a missionary from America uh, who had taken me under his wing. I was at his house all the time with his family. Really, when this man who was broken up, he'd been in accidents, uh, was pleading up front uh, for people to come up and join him. I stood up. It was one of those things where, you know, if you've been to evangelical church, you know, you know the article. Yeah where the pastor says, close your eyes and I want to ask you if you feel that the Lord is calling you to come up to missions, would you raise your hands? Hmm. And I raised my hand and unfortunately he said, uh, thank you only once because you're supposed to say thank you many times <laughs> <laughs> because of the number of hands that you get, get yeah. raised. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he said once, he said thank you only once and then he said the worst thing that everybody that has gone to an altar call hears and like, okay, I don't want to do this. said, would you please stand up? And sure enough, I was the only one in the entire church that responded. Oh, wow. So it was seen to be that this was God for sure. Hmm. Because how could I be the only one? So the pastor took a new interest in me. The, the, my American missionary friend he was, was completely overjoyed. And that began my journey in looking at becoming uh, a missionary. And so within a few days of that, 
I actually went up to my dad and I said I needed to to tell him something. He and my mom took me to their bedroom. You know, and you, you know the no African parent takes their, their children to their bedroom unless you're gonna get a real thrashing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they took me to their bedroom and asked me what this was about, and I told them, you know, I feel the Lord is calling me to go to a master Pokot in Trukana. I want to go to Bible College to get ready uh, because I, we had a Bible College in our denomination. Yeah. And um, my dad had one request. Now remember that my my family was still Catholic. Yeah. Um, at this point, and so my dad had one request. He 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 actually made uh, a point that now looking back it was like pretty good point. But for me as a believer, it was a pretty bad, stupid point. Hmm. What was it? It was this that he said, Sammy. Uh, actually, my name was Nanya. Um, he, he said, is in the Bible against suicide, hmm. right? Is in suicide a sin? And I said, yes, it is. And he said. And don't you think that going to the Trukana and the Pokot is committing suicide? <laughs> now, not only was he asking, he was asking that really from a very middle-class Nakuru, you know, perspective. Yeah. So he, his one request was, could I just hold on to that dream and go and do some computer science? Because at that time, everybody was going to computer college. Mm. Yeah. So I basically uh, agreed to those terms with my dad um, and moved to Nairobi, Parkland's area. Hmm. Parkland's Gala area, um, and I went to a hostel. I was. I lived in that hostel. Uh, it was um, men's only hostel um, for maybe four or five months. Mm. And I can tell you right now, needless to say, being around so many people that were not of the same faith as I was, in fact, had a much lower moral threshold than I did. Right. It, it was not the same at all. Uh, so now I, I was surrounded by people who were constantly engaging in the behavior that had been taught to stay away from the drinking and the, and the smoking and all kinds of things, the, the, the women, uh, the language. Um, it was just, quote unquote, a toxic environment, mm. which I just need to get ahead of that and say it was the real world. Right. <laughs> But to me, uh, and from where I came from, and for a lot of uh, people that uh, share this same faith, this was a very toxic environment. But I was walking distance away from uh, Parkland Baptist over there in, in uh, Parkland, and so that also became uh, a real soft source of uh, strength. Um, I started participating in a cell group, and I actually started participating in a cell group of, from a church of which you, Pastor Wa, were a pastor. In fact, you probably were a pastor at that time. Hmm. And so I, I started going to these cell group meetings um, and a quick side note, you know, a quick side story. Yeah. Something had happened in this uh, cell group that now uh, for me is actually pretty funny. I've been going to this cell group for a couple of weeks and the question from your church, Pastor Wa, came up very fast. Um, they knew that I was saved. I believed in Jesus Christ as my personal savior. But the question came up very, really, really fast. Had I been baptized with the Holy Ghost with the initial sign of speaking in tongues? Now, for anyone that did not grow up in a evangelical circles yeah. or that grew up Catholic or Muslim, uh, it's a whole new lingo here. 
right. it's a new language. Yeah. The idea being that after you're born again, after you have, if you come to faith uh, in Jesus, that one more thing needed to happen in order to empower you to live a life of holiness. And since the Trinity is, you know, God is one person in three, you know, you have God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the agent of change in your life. After you get saved and you come to Jesus, you needed the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. According to that denomination, you needed to, you needed to have a second experience in which right. you're infused with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and the initial evidence that he just, you know, occupied you <laughs> yeah. was that you spoke in tongues. Right, and so here's what had happened. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm, I said no, I, I never spoke in tongues in my life, and they said, okay, you need to come over here, kneel down in the middle of the house, and you know, of the room, and we're gonna lay our hands on you, and we are going to make sure that you receive the Holy Spirit. Are you open to receiving the Holy Spirit? I said sure. So I knelt down, and uh, Pastor one, I had maybe 15, 16 people, grown people lay their hands on my head and my shoulder leaning pretty much up against me and speaking in tongues okay yeah uh, speaking in this this very interesting clicks and sounds heavenly language and heavenly language thank you pastor yeah. and um they just kept going and going and encouraging me to speak not in my mother tongue not in kiswahili and not in english to just open my mouth and speak at some point in that, because of the weight of these people, literally, I had to get out. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. I'm going to break my spine. And oh, so, wow. I, I I can tell you right now, this was one of the first acts of, of double standards, where I basically broke out in tongues. But I broke out in tongues, you know, because you just made any kind of sound. I broke out in tongues so that these people would not continue to lay, <laughs> to lean on me. And Pastawa, that cell group, broke out in joy and, and celebration clapping and celebration because our brother just received the holy spirit i just wanted to get out of the house Um, again, you know, uh, I held on to that faith. Uh, my family eventually moved from the crew to Nairobi, so I basically moved with them to South Beach. Yeah. Um, and I re-engaged in my same denomination, uh, which was two matatus away um, from South Bay to, to Ngong Road. But I was there probably two to three times a week. So again, here I was. I wasn't really going to college anymore because I just was flanking. wanted to go to Bible college for a long time. Again, I was gone all the time. Any pocket money I got from my dad, I would just go to church. Um, and again, I got in the bubble. I had really good friends. Some of my friends from Nakuru had moved to Nairobi and they went to the same church. Yeah. Um, and so again, I found my, my roots and I became, I became extremely participative. You know, I was really in that church. I was going for evangelism. Uh, you know, if they had a mission trip out to um, Trukana would go. You know, I, I just really participated in everything in the church. Right. So I became very strong um, in my faith. Hmm. 
my call, I had wanted to go to Bible college all these years. And so finally, the pastor at that church really encouraged me to go to, to start going to the Bible college. Yeah, so you've, um, you dropped out of, and so at this time, I'm assuming you've dropped out of college or you finished college, computer college? No, I did not. I did not. Um, I finished my a couple of certificates, but I, I just was not interested in it. So I think my dad recognized that he was throwing money in a hole. Mm. Um, and so... And at that time, after my family moved to Nairobi, my mom was one of those very, very first people that she used to go to Dubai to get clothes mm. and come back and tell them at um, there's a place on Uhuru Park that was a big tent. Yeah, there was a, some um, big stalls and stores over there selling clothing. Yeah. Yeah, in the, in the hundreds of stalls inside, it yeah. started the whole movement with, with mm-hmm. that um, imported clothes mm-hmm. uh, industry. So my mom had a stall, and she would go to Dubai. She would get uh, you know a few items and come back and would sell them there and so for about a year i did that mm-hmm. um but meanwhile i was i was yeah, and because now i was earning a little bit of money you know i had a bit more to go to church with um and at some point what happened was my family my dad won the green card uh to come to the united states uh but i was too old to to join them and so a decision was made and at that time I, it was clearly an you know, the time to go to Bible college. And so I started going to Morfat College of Bible in Kijabe and my family moved to the States. So I was left out in Kenya with my little, uh, my sister uh, who lived in Thika, but I went to Bible college in Morfat in Kijabe for an entire year while, and at the same time, my family, the rest of my family moved to the States. So I was free from any, <laughs> any parental control now. Yeah, and you know, if I had not been saved, obviously we know where that would have gone. But I was so, so, so to Jesus hmm. that now I could really do missions. I could really actually live in the church rather than just go to church. Um, and so it was for me the freedom I needed to really pursue my faith, really pursue my career as as a pastor missionary. Um, I enjoyed everything about Bible college. There was not a moment in Bible college I did not like. And um, in fact, I liked it so much that I was on the dean's list. Uh, the entire four years I was in Bible College. So, I, I, and and it was easy for me. It was not hard for me to be in the dean's list because I love everything about it. So that's how I started out uh, in my career. Uh, is really I went to Bible College. It was yeah. something that I wanted to do for years. Um, and finally, I went to Morford. Then I went to Kenya Highlands Bible College, where I graduated with honors. Um, wow! Which was very interesting because in my family, um, I was the one bringing the D's and the F's. <laughs> You know, uh, actually, when <laughs> just to go back a bit, when my when I was leaving the house uh, to go get my Kenya secondary certificate um, back, you know, before I went to Bible College. Yeah. Um, after the results came out, and I had to go to school to my to my former school to go get my certificate. As I was leaving the house, my dad asked me, "What do you think? What grade do you think you're bringing back?" And I turned back and I looked at him in the eye and said, "I think I'm bringing back an E." <laughs> and I left the house. <laughs> I think my I think my mom had to hold him back. <laughs> he was gonna take a swing at you. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! <laughs> yeah, oh, that's funny. so. Um, um, I I really did not. I hated everything about high school. Yeah. I hated it so much. I went to high school for five years, <laughs> oh, wow. which is not, you know, it's not uh, everybody's. But then I went to college, and here I was 
pulling A's and B's and I, I li- literally just learned everything about Bible college. How amazing is that? Right, yeah. So that's how I started and uh, by going, going to Bible college and yeah. graduating from Bible college. Mm. By the time I graduated Bible college, the church that I went to in Nairobi was ready to receive me as their, their new youth pastor. Uh-huh. And so I, I got right out of college. I got into a matatu in Kericho, drove to Nairobi, moved into my new apartment uh, in the church compound and started the next day. As a youth pastor. Yes, youth intern and then youth pastor, yes. Mm. How long were you? Uh, how long were you a youth pastor? I was probably at that church maybe maybe two years. Mm-hmm. Then I moved to a church in as a as a youth pastor there uh, of a different denomination. But um, yeah, I moved to Mbakasi. Right. Um, and I was a pastor there probably probably about a year to two years. And then moved to Parkland at another church, and then finally just left being a pastor and became a trainer of pastors. Right. Part of yeah. part of your journey from school into youth ministry and into pastoring was was interesting because you had mentioned to me about you feeling dissatisfied a sense of dissatisfaction with what was being done to, in regard to the young people that were coming to the church in terms of what yes. what attention was being paid there right my transition um so going back a little bit my transition from from remember that I wanted to go to Pokot and to Rukana. Right. Um, I really wanted to be a missionary. But slowly but slowly, uh, after my family moved to the to the United States, I started to see that the bigger mission field was the youth. Now, remember that I wasn't too old myself. I was probably 24, 25, and I still considered youth. But I could see very clearly that the youth were the, the majority of the country, and very little was being done. Uh, to help them, you know, become Christians, you know, to help them become more responsible. The things that the youth ministry ideals are purported to be. Mm. So I really, really wanted to be a youth pastor now because every time I went to back to Nairobi uh, from Bible College, I would participate in uh, Sunday school teaching and youth ministry. And more and more, it became clear that I was rising up as a as a favorite amongst the youth. It naturally it made sense to go to youth ministry because of the numbers. You you don't need to. It doesn't take very long for anybody coming into into Kenya and looking, you know, standing anywhere in Nairobi, yeah, and you know, looking around, and you're gonna see that almost everybody is under forty, right? Probably even under thirty. This was it was very obvious to me what the problem was, and I wanted to fix it. So I became a youth pastor with the idea that I was going to change kids' lives and that the church was going to back me up. Mm-hmm. And the church, the first church did back me up by allowing me to start a youth service, which runs till today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started a youth service, um, which was which meant that I was running a, a church within a church because we had our own leadership structure, we had our own budget, mm-hmm. um, and we now had a service. Um, okay. So I became, I became the youth pastor, but I quickly, quickly came to the realization that youth ministry is something that's talked about, but it's not done. Um, for, for a lot of adults, uh, a youth pastor is a, is a glorified, saved babysitter. Really, uh, parents were only interested in my ministry in as far as their own children uh, staying out of trouble. Mm. And it reflected in the budget. Uh, so I remember that in, in those two churches that I served, uh, the first and the second, uh, on Gong Road and then in Mbakasi, my budget 
of the entire budget of the church, my budget would come out to about maybe 2 to 3%, never more than 3% of the entire church budget. But the speeches that were being given, the, the, the sermons that were being given was uh, constantly, we need to reach the young people because they're the majority in this country. You know, uh, it, it go on and on about how we, we have to be more relevant to young people, that we, we need to give, um, you know, we need to volunteer more. Uh, with young people, but my budget constantly was, I was so underfunded it was not even funny. Mm. Um, and so um, I started having this discomfort with what are we doing here, right? right. Why do I constantly have to fight these battles uh, with church leadership to get more money to do the thing that the church leadership says needs to be done? Um, and so I, I started having this this this. Uh, uneasiness in my in you know in my soul so to speak um and when i moved so it became i became so uneasy about it and my own role in that first church yeah. that i actually quit i quit uh, being a pastor at the first church mm. uh, because uh, i felt like i was being taken advantage of and i was not being mentored at all um, i just was thrown into this hot pot of teenage hormones yeah and um and told to run with it, but with no money. <laughs> mm. So um, I, I just really felt abandoned. Um, and even though I met my, uh, you know, my the director of the ministry of the youth ministry at that time, eventually became my wife, right? right. And so um, here, the two of us um, were looking at this thing and wondering what's going on. Uh, why do we have to fight these battles? And so I actually made the decision to quit. And for a few months, I was jobless. Hmm. Uh, you know, this new position at this other church, yeah. I applied for it, they loved me. And I started there thinking, hey, here it is. This is actually a church that uh, the church family that this church belongs to is very serious about ministry. We knew. And again, the church, the family of churches that this one church in Mbakasi belongs to. Yeah. Pastor Wa, you've been you've been a pastor in those churches too. <laughs> yes, I have. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. So uh, it's very interesting how uh, this conversation is coming out of the same place. But um, <laughs> and yeah, we, we hadn't so met. Was, yeah, it it's very yeah, interesting. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm saying yeah, and we we hadn't met yet. Yet our paths we had to not be met. Cr- no, 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 we had yeah. not met at all. Yeah. yeah. So here I was at this new church in Mbakasi, a lot more vibrant. Mm. Um, the, the you know the leadership there was all about um, the ministry, but the same thing ended up happening. You know, about a year to two years in, my budget was the lowest in the entire church budget. Hmm. But I had the most people, you know, and I was constantly being told, "Look at all these youth. You just need to step outside the church office and look. The road is filled with youth." Yeah. So do something about it. Well, I need money for this. Mm. <laughs> and constantly, it was, well, you know, these youth break things. They don't make things, <laughs> you know. So um, my my uneasiness about youth ministry just grew. Um, what added to it was, yeah. Um, again, in that church, I started the, the new youth service, which is still running till today. <laughs> yeah. So I started a youth service there. Um, and I got, I, I organized this uh, youth around the youth service. One of the things about a youth service and having be, having a leadership team um, from the youth is you're going to find yourself hosting a lot of concerts. Right. 
And so as a, as a youth pastor, I would find myself hosting concerts, concerts at our church and then going for concerts right. uh, with my youth group. You know, we had a dance team. And so I accompanied them to these uh, dance competitions and, and presentations. So here's the thing that I noticed very fast, that even though we youth pastors used to get together to discuss our youth ministry, you know, in Nairobi, you know, youth pastors from all churches, you know, we, we would be gathered together as 50, 60 youth pastors yeah. from everywhere in Nairobi. Here's the common denominator we ended up finding is we were sharing youth. So you have youth moving from this church over here in Gong Road and moving to, you know, the, the guitarist there feeling so dissatisfied there that he moves to Langata, right? Ah. And now he's a guitarist there. Um, and then you have these concerts. So right. we, we would go to, you know, we'll go to the uh, South B area and, and have a concert at the church there. Then the next, you know, month we would go to East Lee and have a church, uh, concert there. It was the same youth that came, would show up. So constantly, we, we found that what we were doing is we were we were switching youth. You give me your bad ones, I give you my, my bad ones. You know, yeah. I, there was not that conversation, but that's what was happening. Hmm. Is we were just switching the same people over and over again. And our concerts, the same people kept showing up. Hmm. So were we really reaching youth? And that for me became a problem. Right. Um, and so slowly by slowly, I started asking questions, bigger questions of the church leadership. What are we doing to, to help the youth? I realized that really what I needed to do was to start speaking to the adults directly. So right. become a, an adult pastor. Right. And which I did. I moved to another church of the same group of churches in Parklands. Yeah. And I became an adult pastor. But again, same thing was happening. Mm. Why are we talking about the youth so much? And yet we need to have our marriage semin <laughs> seminars. Mm. We need to have our parenting seminars. We do not have uh, a pot that is, you know, so full that we're going to throw money at the youth. Mm. And then I, so slowly my philosophy changed. Okay, so they, we're not, I can't do youth ministry because nobody's paying attention. Right. These adults are not going to pay attention to the youth now that I've become their pastor. Maybe what I need to do is become a trainer of pastors. It was a progression. Yeah. Maybe what I need to do is become a trainer of pastors so I can help the church leader, the, the, the one head, um, give a bit more attention to youth ministry. Hmm. And so this allowed me to uh, become a, a missionary in the sense that I joined a mission organization that was responsible for uh, my wife's presence in Kenya. So just to let you know... Um, she became my wife. Um, now we divorced now, uh, but she's from the United States. Um, mm. She had she had come as a missionary to Kenya, and that's how we met at that church. Mm. And so the organization that was responsible for her being uh, in Kenya took me on, and so I became a, a trainer uh, of pastors. And I can tell you that was that exposed me to all kinds of churches and leaders all around Kenya. And mm. 
while I was training pastors. So this was all about leadership development. And right. we uh, were constantly reaching rural pastors. The thing that I found very fast to help pastors become more relevant in their preaching, because that was my concern was, are you being relevant or are you pushing people away by your messaging? Hmm. Um, you know, so we, we came up with, with training, you know, curriculum. Hmm. It's the question, you know, what does Christ want of, of us as leaders? Um, <clears throat> and so I, I, I started training pastors, uh, like asking questions about what message uh, they're preaching. And we will talk about things, for example, you know, what are the top three things that you preach in your uh, crusades? And, you know, it's easy to come up with these behaviors that pastors love to preach against, you know, mm -hmm. drinking, smoking, prostitution, and women wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. You go to anywhere rural in Kenya, these are the three, three these, these three sins are mentioned in every crusade. Yeah. Those are the four deadly sins of... Uh... Yes, the four, the four deadly sins, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so um and so a lot of our, my training was centered around okay, so let's look at what it is that you're preaching ab about. Mm. And so I would guide the pastors to back to scripture. Okay. So like one of the verses that was quoted over and over was I think in Levit Leviticus that women cannot wear men's clothing or vice versa, for mm. this is an abomination or, or or there was some warning against women wearing men's clothes. And this verse was used as the basis for uh, telling women they cannot wear pants or, you know, right. all kinds of manner of dressing right. based on this verse. Yeah. And so I would actually have pastors, and I would agree with them, I'd say, okay, we're looking at the, at the verse. Yes, it says very clearly here that mm. women cannot wear men's clothing, and I agree. So taking the same thing, taking the same st stance that this is God's word, and this verse right here is God's word, and we need to take it literally. Let's mm -hmm. move on to the fourth or the fifth verse right there in the same chapter. Mm -hmm. And one of the verses on there said, uh, you shall not plant two kinds of seeds in your garden because you're mixing two kinds of seeds, but this is an abomination before the Lord. And I would have the pastors look at me and I'd ask the question, yeah. do you have more than two kinds of seed in your garden? And pastors would buzz out laughing. You know, they had mango trees, they had bananas, they had <laughs> potatoes, they had they had all kinds of things. And so I'd say that you know, if we're to take this verse literally, this here right here says that you're doing an abomination before the Lord. Hmm. And immediately the pastors will go to no, 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 no. You see, this verse here is talking about the heavenly seed and the and the and the seed from hell, that you cannot combine heavenly behavior with. You know, hellish behavior. Oh. It's like, oh, so so it's so so this is metaphorical. It's not really, you know, it, it is not literal. And they'll say, no, 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 no. There's no way this is literal. Then I would say, okay, so let's go back to the verse. <laughs> yeah, the preceding Three verses verse. up top. I, I'll say, let's go to the preceding verses here. Uh, the verse that we just read that says, you cannot, you know, women shall not wear men's clothing. What changed in the rules? If this is literal and this is um metaphorical what changed who 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 changed the rules and in fact there was another verse right there in the same chapter that will talk about you shall not wear garments woven with two kinds of fabric right 
and I had pastors actually turn their collars over <laughs> of their jackets and their shirts. And I say, read what on the on the tag at the back. And the tag constantly came up with four or five different kinds of, of um, elements. Right. And again, it was, how can you sit here talking about how women cannot wear pants, but you're sitting here wearing fabric woven with all kinds of, uh, you know, garments worn, worn with, uh, right. you know, with all kinds of fabric. Hmm. And constantly and consistently in Kenya, in Rwanda, in Tanzania, everywhere I did the training, the same thing came up again and again. Hmm. That it was, we were being inconsistent in how we applied scripture. Hmm. And so our message was constantly faulty because we we were, you know, we're not reading scripture the proper way. Right. And, and my whole thing at that time was, you know, can you be consistent? Can you be consistent in how you look uh, at this verse over the other verse? Hmm. And at around that time um, is when I met you. Yeah. Because we went for the coaching training and we learned how to become leadership coaches. Yeah. And leadership coaching is all about asking powerful, incisive questions. Right. Mm -hmm. So here I was doing these trainings all over East Africa uh, amongst pastors. Um, and then going through this coach training that was asking even more questions. Yeah. And the more I started asking questions, the more I became uneasy about my own belief system because I could not believe one thing and then believe and then disbelieve it on the other. So, so for example, it, it was very, very hard, you know, to continue saying that, um, like one of the things that, and this is accepted, that God is a loving God, right? You know. The New Testament messaging, mm -hmm. but then you flip to the Old Testament, and God is a is a is a God of rage and wrath and anger. Uh, this is the Evolve podcast. You can like, subscribe, and share with your friends. Until next time, it's goodbye from us. Mm -hmm.